All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Lindroth Hockey Podcast. You're here with co-hosts, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? Great, Andrew. How are you doing? Not too bad. So today we have a very special guest here that we've been very excited to bring on the show to talk some hockey today. His name, his name is Ian Kesserich. Uh, as a goalie, he began playing for the Cleveland Barons in the NAHL from 2002 to 2004, and then was later drafted in the seventh round of the 2004 NHL draft by the Colorado Avalanche. After being drafted, he committed to the Ohio State University and played for, uh, played for them for two seasons from 2004 to 2006. Uh, after college, he appeared in the USHL with the Tri-City Storm for a season. Then the following season began a six-year tenure between the CHL, AHL, and the ECHL from 2007 to 2013. He then retired from the hockey world for a few years and served as Tulsa's e-bug, or as known as emergency backup goalie from 2014 to 2015, and then returned again uh, from 2017 to 2019, when Tulsa had one goalie on loan in the AHL and the other was injured in the middle of the game, he had received the goal I've been looking for, and he tore it up with the team in the 2018-2019 season, and even received the CCM slash ECHL Goalie of the Week award in March of 2019. We'll, of course, get into more detail about that last stint with Tulsa, but without further ado, we'd like to welcome our special guest, goalie Ian Kessrich. Thanks for joining us, man. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Did did we catch anything uh, wrong in the intro there, or is that all right? Man, that was a mouthful. That's a that's a laundry list of st- stats you got there for sure. Um, yeah, I know everything sounded great. Yeah, I did. I did quite the research before this, as you can tell. Like so, a- so Ian, so um, as we talked a little off air, um, our listener base uh, does cover a lot of the Providence Bruins and also the ECHL affiliate, uh, which is, I forget who it is this year, uh, for the uh, Boston Bruins. Um, So they are familiar a little bit with the AHL and just maybe a tad with the ECHL. And of course, playing in the Central Hockey League, uh, that was um, disintegrated or moved into the ECHL, correct? Yes, yes. uh, The ECHL absorbed them a few years back. And so kind of give us a little bit of a taste of what life is between the old CHL or, and the AHL since you played for both suited up for both leagues. Uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a stark difference between the two leagues. Um, I was fortunate enough to start off with the Colorado Eagles and the central hockey league. And the way they ran their organization was pretty much that of an AHL organization. So I was kind of pampered right off the bat. Um, but generally most of the league in the central hockey league was very, uh, very humble. <laughs> let's just say, let's, let's call it humble uh, as far as the amenities and, uh, and uh, capabilities of serving, serving the team. Um, after I played uh, a short stint with Colorado I was actually moved to, um, Mississippi to play for the river Kings. And I actually stayed on a mattress, uh, on the floor of, uh, our equipment manager for a good two weeks before they actually got me an apartment. So it was kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of a difference going from a fully loaded apartment, leather chairs, leather, this leather, that, and then pretty much everybody knows your name in the town to I'm in the middle of Mississippi, just hoping that I don't get shot when I drive down the road. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So what is it like? So obviously, unless your um, your team in the ECHL is, you know, like in Newfoundland or the old uh, 
Alaska, you're on a bus most of the time, traveling, sleeping yes, on the bus. Is that is that kind of how it is? Yeah, I've actually got some funny bus stories I'd like to share with you. So um, my first day on the job in Tulsa, we um, we had a trip up to Kansas City, and I got in at like 2 in the morning. I got traded late in the day and showed up and, and jumped on the bus right away to just drive straight out. And uh, on the way, I, I, you know, I just shook hands with a handful of guys. I didn't know anybody. And uh, I'm sitting in my bunk. And next thing you know, I, I, I smell this odd, odd smell. And I'm like, what the heck is this? What is going on on this bus? And I'm like, the, I'm surely I, I shouldn't say anything. I'm the new guy. I shouldn't make a stir. And moments later, I saw a little <laughs> puff of smoke. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So I jumped out of my bunk and told the coach, I'm like, hey, I think something's on fire. And sure enough, the uh, bus driver left the parking brake on for two hours. He drove straight with this parking brake on and it superheated the caliper and the whole bus burnt to the ground at 50 foot of flames. We all had to evacuate. We ended up making it to the game an hour and a half late and had a standing ovation while we warmed up like an hour and a half before game puck was supposed to drop. So I've, I've got, I've got a few more bus stories, but I'll leave it at that one. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of bus travel um some some places that i played had really high-end buses it was pretty amazing to travel in other places not so much but uh, for the most part you're you're on a bus uh, unless you're going a great distance then then you take a charter flight so were those nice buses that you say that you did travel on with certain teams was were those the chl teams at the time or, or which ones were those? uh so yeah the actually the, the nicest place i played they stuck you on a shuttle bus because most of the games were right down the road so you're kind of bobbing around in the back of a shuttle bus but um the central hockey league i wouldn't say uh it was i could compare it to that of um kind of a, a, a slap shot type bus they looked mean on the outside but they served they served our needs in the inside so um, but as far as comparing it, um, the AHL teams I did get called up to when I did travel, they were just regular charter buses, regular seats. There was nothing fancy about it, but they were just shorter trips. So I never had the opportunity to jump on one of their longer, longer trip buses. Okay, cool. Now, as far as development goes along, I'm always interested because as a, as a goalie, which is not a position I've, I've actually played once in a scrimmage and that was it. <laughs> I mean, the puck, hit me, yeah, the puck hit me in more places that, that didn't have padding. So my hat's off to all the goalies. Anyway, do you work with a goal tending coach at that level or what's it like, for example, in, in, in Tulsa, since a lot of Tulsa fans will listen to this? Uh, generally, no. At the Central Hockey League level, um, there was there was no goalie coach. You were lucky to have an assistant coach. Uh, at the ECHL level, um, you'd get uh, the odd goaltending coach that would either uh, have you come down or they'd call you up to the AHL to work with you. Um, I've seen other teams, um, some other teams do it a little bit differently than, than, than most, but uh, for the most part, they would send a guy, work with you for a few days, and then, and then hit the road. So there wasn't too much as far as the development side from uh, a coaching standpoint that happened. So what is it? what would a coach – say if they're not a goalie per se do they get really technical or do they just get really angry when you should have had that shot I mean they, they generally leave us alone uh, my favorite <laughs> coaches wouldn't talk to me <laughs> but, um you know other like if I'd play the puck and try deacon somebody in the corner or something that's the only way they'd really yell at me um 
but generally they leave you alone. We're all professionals. And uh, there wasn't, it's not as much as it is a developmental league. They allow the development to happen in game with, they make minor corrections in the game, but for the most part, the coaches leave the goalies alone. Okay, good, good, good. Very cool. So speaking of, you know, all the different league, you know, those three different leagues that you're playing for. And, you know, I know that, especially when you play, you know, at the ECHL level and you get those calls where you're loaned to the AHL and, you know, it could even be for a, a game, which could be a day or two, or however long the stay would be, you know, just traveling back and forth and going through that. What, what is that traveling like? And, you know, do you have, do you expect sometimes to pack up all your things and go, or is it just like, you know, you're only going for a little bit. I mean, it's gotta be difficult for a player. Yeah, you definitely have to be mobile. You have to be able to 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 huff it on and 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 make it around in a backpack and, and move from place to place very quickly, uh, especially during those call up to opportunities. Um, generally, they set up things very simple for you. They they either have somebody come get you, or they 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 uh, they'll actually get you a rental car, and they've got hotels and stuff set up. So it's very minimal on what impact it has on me as far as. Uh, um, kind of like the logistics side of things. It's just, Hey, show up and do this, do that. And they take care of the rest. Um, now, but yeah, go ahead. If, if you get, if you get traded um, I always wonder from a fan's perspective. So what is that like? Do you actually, does a coach call you in and tell you does, if they have a GM that does all that, do they do? I mean, do they send you an email? Do they, what happens? What's uh, generally, generally they'll have them, they'll call you into the office and meet with you. Um, I've only got traded one time, I think. Um, the other times I could pretty much got kicked off the team because I was an idiot, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> now, Asking a goalie, I've always wanted to ask a professional goalie this. So as we're watching games on TV, NHL, and, you know, like um, Hart with Philadelphia the other last night, he's got six goals he's letting in. He normally doesn't do that. Obviously, he, he you know, he's frustrated. But, you know, the announcers are always like, well, you know, sometimes you got to pull the goalie because he's lost his confidence. And to me, that never made much sense. What happens if you're having a really bad game? Do you actually be like, I can't imagine anybody would say, I want to get out of this game. But what runs through your head if you've got a significant amount of goals, you're not having the game, you know, does it really affect the goalie or did you just take one goal at a time? Um, you know, it, it definitely changed throughout my career. Um, when I was much younger and, uh, and more hot headed, it would definitely affect me between the ears more than it did when I came out of retirement. Um, I, I do distinctly remember being put in a situation where I wanted out. <laughs> I did not want in that net anymore. It was, you know, just facing, you know, two on O's. I remember when I was in Wichita, we had a, an interim coach takeover because the head coach got fired and it was kind of like <laughs> guys just came out. We're just kind of like barely barely put sentences sentences together because they're recovering from the night before. And it was like, just bad. <laughs> it was just a battle in some of those teams, but yeah, no, I've been, I've been putting those situations where, you know, um, the team's not playing in front of you. You can either use it as a, an opportunity to fight through, grow and try to try to lead from behind or, or fold up shop. And luckily in my career, I've only ran into that situation, like really good, like one time. So what is, I, I want to ask this, I've always wanted to ask this, with the, uh, uh, the Holt B goalie eye thing, it seems like a new thing, but maybe it's not. 
all these young goalies I'm seeing are doing these eye exercises or it's what I, I don't know how to describe it, Ian. Yeah, well, as you can see, I've, I've got a little gray on my chin here. I, I actually used to do that stuff back when I was a kid. Um, I had this this little Nintendo DS game called Flash Focus that would actually run you through eye training exercises to help you with um, just quick twitch muscles in, in your eyes. I mean, you do have to be able to move your, your vision from left to right, up and down very quickly. And um, it, it's, 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 nothing, it's nothing really new under the sun as far as development goes. It's just it starts catching on, gets viral and, you know, bring, now they're bringing a lot of attention to it. You know, you'll see uh, um, who else was doing it just recently. Uh, Connor Hellebach was doing it on the bench and everybody's like, Oh, what is he doing? This is new stuff. It's, it's not, it's, 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 it's not new. It's just, uh, just another training tool and something to focus on. Um, you have to be very spatially aware as a goalie. So it's just one of those things where you get to work on and, and kind of master your craft. And, um, one last goalie question, then I want to get to um, the, the comeback in your career with Tulsa. Um, so being an old hog, I'm 52. I'm used to the old stand-up goalies from back in the day. And then all of a sudden we merged into this butterfly technique. And again, I don't know nothing about goalie technique, but it seems like that's just what everybody does. I mean, goalies, you know, it, unless they're in a butterfly, you're not flopping around. You're not the Dominic Hasek, you know, flopping around type guy or Grant Fuhrer. Um, when did that butterfly happen and why? Because I mean, you, you still have a, a, a goaltending school and you know, what, what are some of those things that work nowadays? So it seems like it's so, so as far, as far as my knowledge goes, which is uh, as far as uh, history goes is limited. I, I believe Trechiak, uh, the Russian goalie from back in the eighties started kind of pioneering the butterfly and taking away the low ice um, the, the position of goaltending has really evolved over the, over the years. And as far as styles goes, it's wax, it's, you know, it's waxing and waning in some different areas, you know, right now, um, if you're following, there's a lot of controversy over, uh, it's called RVH. It's the way you hold your post with your leg down. Um, there's a lot of different training things that are going on that when a goalie gets hot in the league, you can see it trend throughout the league and coaches try uh, uh, to implement those things. Like for instance, when I was with the avalanche system, everybody wanted to model what Jagir did. He just came fresh off winning. Everybody thought that you had to be big and boxy and bold in the net. And, uh, and everybody for a long time tried getting their goalies to recreate that. Uh, as far as from a philosophy standpoint, I look at it like you're a toolbox and you put new tools in it. If one doesn't work, you change it, but you got to learn it either way because you might pull it out every once in a while. So it's uh, one of those things in the NHL that you see. Um, I don't think the butterfly is going anywhere. I don't think stand-up goaltending is going to come back, but you can see some of the older goalies are having a ton of success right now because they have all these different save selections that they could pull from. Uh, for instance, like, um, like a flurry, um, you look at uh, the goalie that just went with Dallas. Uh, what was his name? He got drafted actually the same year I did. Um, who's the goalie for Dallas? Gosh, I can't think of his Udoven. name right now. I'm sorry. Udoven. Udoven, yeah. I actually got drafted earlier than in the rounds than Hudobin did. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Different careers, different paths. That, you know. Um, but you can see that he – uh, he has a, a wider variety of save selections to choose from that he's familiar with. Cause like when I grew up, I was learning skate saves and two pad stacks. Like 
you hardly ever see, I mean, you'll never see a skate save in hockey again. It's crazy to expose the back of your leg to try to make a save. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely come a long way and it's really cool to be a, a part of the, uh, the, the learning curve and the training curve because um, there's so many different ways you can go with it. Cool. So, so Ian, I want to jump to um, how you, how you made your comeback. So you were retired from hockey in 2013. Is that 2013. I finished my, my, uh, for my last game, I, I was uh, a playoff game with uh, the Elmira Jackals in the East coast hockey league. I got called up there after, um, after my, my stint with Tulsa ended and, and we went deep or yeah, we went deep into the playoffs and ended up losing to Florida. And after that, I just, uh, just hung them up. Yeah. And so you're hanging around Tulsa. And of course, um, everybody knows the emergency backup goaltender stories in the last few years in the NHL of Chicago and Carolina, you know, these guys coming in and doing their thing, but yet in Tulsa, um, well, in the ECHL, you have e-bugs all the time I see on the transaction list. Yep. How, how are you, and, and I'm a big, uh, I'll be up front, I'm a big uh, uh, Rob Murray fan. Um, yeah. I, I, I think he's great. I think, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to put down, I, I think the guy's, you know, going to be, you know, going bigger, better places, uh, but that's sort of beside the point. Uh, but uh, how were you contacted and how did you first get this, e-bug situation with Tulsa yeah so I I had no intentions of ever going back to hockey I uh I was uh I was a bit of a I was a bit of a mess uh playing professional sports I, I didn't handle it I didn't have the maturity level to do it so when I retired I was I was done with it so uh fast forward five years I uh, I was actually managing a, a car dealership and the local youth organization reached out to me about coaching and I was not, not interested. And I remember sitting in my, uh, in my, in my cubicle. And I remember just looking down at my desk and just like, just simple little prayer. I was like, Lord, I don't mind doing this, but I want to do something I love. And sure enough, within 24 hours, I get a call from my friend, Gary Steffes, who I played with in Tulsa for three years. Gary was a good friend of mine. We, uh, we connected on so many levels, but he actually reached out and asked me to play in a tournament in Florida uh, to play in an FCA tournament. I, I, I told him no flat out. I wasn't interested. And uh, we talked for a while and he, he convinced me to at least, at least pray about it. So he's like, Hey, two things. I'm like, Gary, there's no way I'm going. Cause one, I haven't played or done anything with hockey in five years. I haven't skated. Like I'd get hurt if I did it for one. And second, like, I'm, I really don't want to pay the funds to go down to Florida. You know, I just got married and it was just not, not something that I had in the cards and uh, sure enough, he said a little prayer. And the very next day, Coach Rob Murray calls me and he says, I need a backup goalie. I need you to practice all week and sit on the bench for two games. So I called Gary up. And I'm like, you can't believe you won't believe this. And, you know, he was laughing about it. He goes, hey, by the way, I got your flight taken care of to Florida. So so um, all week I practiced. Uh, I was very rusty. Uh, I was getting in front of shots and reading them, but it was kind of funny because I had no desire whatsoever for the game. And after that week of practice, I was like, man, I feel good. My wife never saw me play hockey before. She, she, <laughs> so she, so she had no, she had no idea what to expect. And, uh, 
Saturday night came along. I sat on the bench and, you know, I kept looking back at her like, I can't believe I'm sitting on the bench with my name on the back of my jersey and you get to see me do this. I, it's been so long. And uh, Saturday night um, passed and Sunday it rolled around and I actually had a dream. I had a dream that I got thrown in late in the game. I was late getting on the ice. <laughs> and I told my wife about it that Sunday morning. We had a, an afternoon game. So we uh, we go. I go to the game, and I didn't think anything about the dream. I just was like, hey, this is kind of funny, funny little weird dream. And sure enough, in the third period, Williams got hit. And, like, I just knew deep in my soul. I was like, all right, I'm going in. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going in. And I didn't even realize there was a five-on-three penalty kill. But I just remember, like, just praying, like, in my skates, like, just let me not make an idiot of myself. And I made a couple big glove saves and guys were tapping me on the pads. And it was just like instant, like reignition, the, the, the passion, the interest, everything came back into me. And I remember uh, the next day, Murray brought me into his office. He's like, Hey, got to let you go guys back in town. And I'm like, I'm not ready. Like I didn't say that to him, but you know, in my heart, I was like, I'm not ready. I want to do this again. I think I can. And so that summer, uh, you know, I prayed a ton about it and I asked my wife, uh, if she backed me and let me, let me try to go after it again. And she, she backed me. Well, it turns out that, you know, the kid that invited me, Gary to, uh, to Florida, I couldn't make it to Florida. So he in, in turn invited me out to Utah. So I went out and did a pro camp out in Utah through FCA, uh, through fellowship of Christian athletes. And I ended up getting MVP of the camp and doing really well. I was dialed in. So I messaged coach Murray and this is the, I, I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I said, Hey, I want to try out the team. I think I get you to playoffs. Let, let me, let me try out the team. And he goes, I'll give you a tryout. Like I'm sure he was just shaking his head. Like who is this old guy? <laughs> and sure enough, you know, just one thing led after another. And it was pretty amazing because my faith in the situation was just unshaken. Like I just, I had this feeling like it was going to happen in, in my heart. I'm like, even when I got cut, I was still smiling. I'm like, I'll be back again, Mur. Like, you know, like it's going to happen again. And uh, sure enough, it did. Um, you know, I had a lot of people uh, backing me and then I had a lot of people saying, what are you doing? You're being dumb. Like, why are you training and giving up on all these other things you could be doing? And, uh, and then sure enough, it just turned out that in December, it's actually the, to the day that I got cut from the Oilers, I signed my contract and, uh, and came back to play with them. Yeah, I, I remember that. And, of course, I, I already told you this, but for the listeners, I was at that game and saw you go in when uh, Devin Williams got hurt. And the look yeah. on your face was, I can't believe this. And, of course, everybody's rooting for you. And everybody knew kind of that. I, I think, you know, that they remember you from five years ago. And they're just like, you know, has this guy played? You know, he, it's, it's, it's amazing. And, and you look – everybody cheered for you, and it was great. And then it was a feel-good story. And then when you came back the following year, it was really different. You came back. Um, you were hungry. I mean, you went nine and three. You had a two-point, like two goals against. They helped the uh, Oilers get all the way to the conference finals. It was one of their best seasons. It, it was just all there. It was like the comeback story that I think most pro athletes would want. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely a movement that the Lord helped me do. I, um, you know, I was telling my wife the other day, I'm watching these NHL games. I'm like, I still got it. I can still do it. You know, like, <laughs> I can get back out there, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was, it was definitely amazing. All the things that had to happen in order for that to, to transpire. 
And, uh, you know, I had a, a lot of support and, uh, you know, when I came back for playoffs, that was a crazy story in itself. Like I was actually driving on my way to Cleveland to visit my sister for her graduation. And the trainer calls me. He's like, Hey, I think Willie's down. Just be ready. And I'm like, Holy crap. And I'm on my way to Cleveland right now. Like what's going on. And then Murr calls me an hour and a half later, like dead at night. And, uh, I had to drive into Cleveland, visit my family and then back out to Toledo for a, you know, for the, the pregame skate and then just right back into the game. Wow. And just to kind of finish up Ian. um, so what, how hard is it to like at this stage with the Oilers, you got, uh, Williams is, is contracted by Tulsa, but you've got two prospects from the Anaheim organization. So what is coach Murray? What's the expectation? Cause I think Devin's a great goaltender, but what, what's the expectation for, Murray to play these other two guys since I mean they're the farm team you know that's uh that's something that I'm unfamiliar with um I could only imagine uh the kind of pressure and leverage and all the things that come with being a coach that has an affiliate um you know you're 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 uh, you're receiving players to develop them for an NHL team and you know it's just one of those things that um, it's a tough situation for Willie to be in because I do think out of all the goalies I've ever really played with, I've always had that kind of like a swagger, like, ah, I can pl- I'll play him on any night. Willie was one of the goalies where I'm like, wow, this kid's really talented. And if it wasn't, if he would have got a contract out of his, uh, out of his, his career, I think he, I think he'd be a little bit higher up than he is, but uh, it's one of those things that there's so much invested in these young kids that get, uh, get these affiliates to drop them into their system that there's there's not much else he can do other than perform as best as he can and hope that somebody sees it so as far as murray's uh stance i can't speak to that but i don't envy it (laughs) you know i can only imagine getting a player that isn't playing well and having to deal with the pressures of uh, an nhl club saying man play him more he needs to develop and meanwhile you're trying to keep your job so it's just one of those one of those things that he handles really well and uh, I honestly, out of all the coaches I played, uh, played for, he was uh, one of the best at. That's awesome. Great. Great. Well, Ian, um, we don't want to keep you. Uh, we're right about at our, our, our time here to let you go. But you're actually our first guest on episode 13 of the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. Yeah. Now, that may not mean much, but to us, it really is. We're big. Fans. Oh, very cool. We're big fans. Uh, we're so glad that, that we got to meet you and have you come on here. And, um, you know, you're, you're welcome to come back. I mean, we could have questions till the cows come home. Uh, so maybe it'd be great if we have you come back sometime and we'll ask you some more questions and maybe even get some input uh, since we're just fans. I mean, you're the pro. Maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the news that goes on in the hockey world. That's what we usually talk about, but we, we don't know what we're doing, you know? We're just fans. <laughs> we're not the same here. Just fake it till you make it, right? Just keep yeah. going. Exactly. Well, we, we really appreciate you coming on the show, Ian. We really do appreciate it. Absolutely. That. I feel honored and blessed to be your first guest, too. This, is, this has been an honor, guys. Thank you so much. Awesome, Thank you man. so much. Have a good night. You as well. Right. God bless. Bye. All right. Well, y'all just heard, uh, you know, our, our, our talk with Ian Kessrich. Um, you know, obviously a great guy. Very nice uh, to come on the show and, and to talk some hockey with us, answer our questions and, his life uh, or his hockey career and life in the ECHL. And then of course the, 
the great comeback story that he had uh, with the Tulsa Oilers um, with that e-bug situation. And I remember when that happened a few years ago as well. And uh, we went to a lot of Tulsa Oilers games that year. And that was the year that they made it, like you said, very far in the playoffs. And he was a part of that journey. And very cool that he was able to, after five years, get up, get back on the skates, find that fire, be put in that situation and win. Right. It, and, and it is kind of crazy. And, you know, if, if you have never gone to a ECHL um, hockey game, you should. I mean, it, it's, it's fast paced. It's not, you know, people put down the ECHL at times um, only because, well, that's, you know, like a double A ball for baseball, you know, that's the cool event that they talk about, but um, it's, it's just fast paced. It's, it's exciting. The guys are big. I mean, it's, it's not a, it's, 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 it's pro pro hockey and, and it is good. So we want to again, thank Ian for that. We're going to get into some, some hockey news because a lot's happened since our last podcast. So Andrew. Yeah. So the, obviously the biggest thing is the big blockbuster trade that happened. Um, and it was, it's been brewing Pierre-Luc Dubois, the number one center in Columbus Blue Jackets. And apparently there was a lot of speculation with the turmoil. He hadn't come out to anything himself. Of course, Tortorella went on a podcast, I believe, right? And had, had broken right. the news that he wanted out. And right. it was up to him to come out and say it. And uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois actually ended up uh, talking to somebody and ended up saying it had nothing to do with Tortorella, which who knows, maybe we're, I'm purely speculating. It could be just him saying that, but um, he didn't say he had a problem with Tortorella, respects him, uh, you know, appreciated his coaching style. So um, whatever reason why he left, it is what it is. But he went to the Winnipeg Jets for Patrick Laine and um, Jack Roslovich. I, I think that Columbus comes out on top on this trade deal. Especially if they re-sign uh, Laine because they already did uh, Roslovich, so that's fine. They've got him for the next few years, but, you know, they're already working on a – contract with Liney. So I, I think the only question is, is Liney going to get along with Torts? And, you know, players, you know, the reputation that I've heard is, you know, Torts is, 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 is tough, but he's fair. And I, and it's pure speculation, but um, I'm, I'm guessing that Dubois did not talk to Torts about his intentions and that pissed off Tortorella. And, you know, Tortorella's like, you know, come, come to me as your coach. And uh, I think that's why Tortorella went public on that. Maybe he didn't mean to go public, but he did say it on, on a podcast and said, you know, that, you know, he needed, the kid needed to get out in front of it. And there is, you know, a lot of, um, you know, he's 22 and he's demanding a trade. A lot of the vets aren't happy with that. You know what I mean? It, it reminds me a lot of the uh, Vincent LeCavier with Tortorella in the early 2000s where, you know, LeCavier even admitted, I think, that he was a little bit of a spoiled brat and wanted a different coach and didn't want Tortorella, and Tortorella wasn't going anywhere, and they had to work it out, and I think that Tortorella helped develop him, him into a, an all-star player that, that he later became. That's just my opinion. I mean, they won a cup. But anyway, I, I think that it, it's a good trade. You want to get – I mean, he, he – Dubois embarrassed himself on that shift, the famous shift right. where there was no hustle. And at, at that point, it's just immaturity and you're forcing Tortorella to do something at that point. And Tortorella did, I think, what any coach would do. I mean, these coaches are under so much stress and pressure to win every single game. You don't have time for someone who's just going to glide around on skates because they're pouting because they don't want to be on the team anymore. 
I mean, grow up, you make millions of dollars. And, and what message does that send to not only, you know, his now former teammates, the ones who he was just playing for, you know, during when he had that, um, that crappy shift that he had and, you know, basically running into the defenseman. I mean, just lollygagging. I mean, oh, no hustle. And then what does that say to his new teammates? I mean, sure, he's going to go there. He might be happy that he's out of Columbus, have that fire. But if he's got this attitude now, you know, unless he, you know, matures and, you know, be you know, just matures in general, then maybe it'll be okay. But that, that doesn't send a good message to his new teammates either. So, Dad, I also want to mention this real quick. Sure. Um, just because it sparks a little light on the line A situation, but work wasn't working out there. Um, so this is according to a Finnish tabloid magazine. So obviously wait, wait, this Finnish, like from Finland. Yeah. From okay. where line okay. is from All right. a Finnish tabloid magazine. So to, you know, to be fair, it's a tabloid magazine, but I will get to why there's some, there's probably, there is some truth to this line. A claims to have been treated very unfairly by teammates, Mark Shifley and uh, captain uh, Blake Wheeler. Uh, this is quote unquote, Wheeler felt his position. And this is in the tabloid magazine, quote unquote, Wheeler felt his position on the right side of the number one line was threatened because uh, Line A was originally the right winger. Wheeler was also not enthusiastic that Line A would become a young man who would become almost as popular in Winnipeg as Timu Solane, which I, I don't know what relevance that has. Another quote, Wheeler and Scheifel threw sand at Line A skates in almost every way possible. Wheeler in particular was a master at speaking behind the back of young Finnish man for things he certainly did not want in public. Quote unquote, Jets head coach Paul Maurice was too weak to um, approach and, yeah. uh, Wheeler and Scheifel. Um, and and Marie, Maurice let and continues to uh, Wheeler and Scheifel lead the team. Um, but it is worth noting that this publication is known for being on Liney's Corner about just about everything. Um, but there is obviously some truth to this because Blake Wheeler, the captain of Winnipeg, did actually come out after this uh, was published and said, uh, maybe I could have communicated a little better instead of being frustrated. Well, I mean, and Line has a little bit of a reputation of being problematic at, at times, I believe. Um, you know, you got to get along with your teammates, and if the team's not clicking, you know, you're not going to win a lot of games. Line is the player who a lot of people make fun of because uh, he spends a lot of his time, especially during the season, in the hotel rooms playing a game called Fortnite. <laughs> and stayed up all night. I don't know if he missed a practice or something, but it, something about him staying up all night. Maybe that was the thing in the tabloid magazine about Wheeler having some things come out to public. Maybe didn't. Who knows? But it doesn't sound like there was a good chemistry between the captain and the top centerman. That's not, that's not good. No. And, you know, I think there's you're definitely seeing in some teams um, the generation gap between the veterans and these young players coming up and, um, and whether that be for whatever reason, I mean, you know, you could have young players that not really, you know, supposedly paid their dues in the, in the minors and, you know, completing their education in hockey, so to speak, like some of these vets did. I mean, who knows what, what, what it is, but I, I do know that, you know, these young players are getting paid a lot of money and the vets might be, have a little bit of who do they think they are and, these young kids want to do their own thing and not really, you know, play Fortnite and not do what, you know, the rest of the team does. Who knows? But I do think that Columbus comes out on top on this trade. Dubois needed to go. And, um, the, you know, I, I, I just knew when Torts went on that show that that, that kid would be gone the yep, next day. Absolutely. I, you know, you could just tell that. Yep. So, 
Um, should we talk real quick before we talk some Bruins, should we talk a little bit about the um, Ovechkin and the Russians being all fined and suspended because they, I guess, got together in their hotel room? Well, and it was actually the entire team, the organization, Washington Capitals, was charged $100,000 for the penalty. Um, so uh, Alex Ovechkin and the you know Backstrom, the guys who were visiting each other um, in their hotel rooms, um, which there was also speculation, speculation, remember, um, that there may be guests that weren't supposed to be there as well. Uh-huh. So that's why they also think it's, it wasn't just a, they were hanging out with each other in each other's hotel rooms, which is against the protocol, but um, they weren't fined uh, individually, but the team was fined a hundred grand. And I've got to say, uh, Ovechkin's apology was uh, terrible at the well, least. He, well, he, he didn't, didn't care. No, he didn't write it. I mean, he didn't write that. Well, I mean, it just didn't seem like it was very like, I'll learn from this. Well, I'm sorry that it's, it's, I it, visited them on my spare It's a time. little bit of a black guy because they were all four of them are Russian, I believe, right? Right. So you've got that whole Russian, whatever you want to call it, culture or reputation or whatever. Just the fact that they were all from Russia and they didn't do this. Hey, it comes down to this. You know, I, I, I work at a university and a mask is required on campus, not just inside buildings, but outside. If you're on campus, you got to wear a mask. Now, that may be ridiculous when you're outside, some people may say, um, but I wear my mask outside. I've, I follow the rules. I want the students to see a professor that is, you know, taking this seriously. And these guys are professional hockey players. One is a captain, and they should follow the rules period, no matter how ridiculous they may think that it is. It's that's the rules you're getting paid. It's a job. Um, you know, we can argue all day long. If there was no one else in the room and just them, and they were just hanging out, not a big deal. They are with each other all the time anyway, and they're tested all the time. What's the big deal. But I guess it comes down to for this thing with the COVID situation to work, you've got to follow the rules no matter well, what it is. Well, and Marshan was interviewed and asked about this, and he said it perfectly. He's like, there are rules in place for a reason, and in order for us to get paid and to have hockey and for fans who watch games, is we've got to follow the damn rules and to, to do this and to, you know, I mean, be safe and to take this seriously, but Chara's got to be having his head hanging down low. I mean, as a captain for 14 years, I mean, that's just to have that leadership on the team you just joined. I mean, that's well, a little, and, and you know he doesn't feel good. And about I, that. I I can't remember what game I saw in the past week and watching Char and he got beat pretty bad a few times. He's, I watched him get beat on the power he's, play. He's he's looking a little he's not having a great season so far, at least from what I saw. But yep. not that I'm examining Char, but all right, Bruins. Bruins. All right. right. Big six win, six to one win. Um, we'll talk about that because there's a lot of good positive takeaways. Dad, Th- there night. is, but, but I have to say this, there is somebody on um, one of the Bruins Facebook things and not, not to talk about Facebook things, but somebody didn't, you know, said something about, Oh, where's all these fans for the first three games. I said, the Bruins suck so bad. What, you know, where are you now? And it's kind of like, yeah, the Bruins are, are doing okay well at the moment but it's kind of like hey buddy wait a minute in the first three games there was nothing no nothing to say the Bruins were good about they they the, all the problems were still there and and maybe they still are but it's like you just you know we have to look and, and look at things consistently not just you know 
we're three games and then five games here. And you we'll know. always cheer on the Bruins, but we're not going to sit here and say, well, it's all fine. They do a great job every night. They work hard. You know, we can't, we're not passionate fans, dad. If that, listen, I spend too much money, too much of my time <laughs> and effort and my soul into this team for them to not hustle and work their ass off. They get paid a lot of money. Good things coming up. The defense is still strong. Yep. We still have, I think, the best goaltending, Halak and Rask, in the NHL oh, by my far. Goodness. Um, that and th- third and line, that hasn't too, changed. That third line of Frederick, Coyle, and Smith. Frederick getting his first point. You know, but Frederick, you know, with the mic'd up with the Subban, which I love, by the way. You know. Okay, so you did see that. Oh, yeah. Way. Oh, absolutely. Make yeah, he was, it, he was make in it, his head. Make another workout right video. There. The only thing Frederick's always, I think he needs, he's kind of like me, he has a high voice. He, he needs does. to get like a lower voice. He does. He's, he's kind of walking. like you yeah. on puberty. He does. <laughs> he does. He kind of sounds like he's 12. I'm in your kitchen. I'm in your kitchen. There's 76. But he's but, still got under skin. Look, we liked this kid all last yep. year. And we were hoping he was going to get the call up. And hopefully he stays. That'll be to be determined. But he's making a difference out there. Like you said, he got his first point. And what, boy, what a goal by Coyle, huh? With a pass from him. Oh, man, that's just beautiful. It's either pure luck or they've been working on that, one or the other. And, hey, I'm not to say that I'm the president of the T. Freddie Club, the fan club or anything, but he also did draw two penalties that night on the same player. And guess what? Both those penalties turned to power play goals, which is exactly what you want from It's the old-time hockey of being an agitator uh, like a Kenny Linsman. You know, used to be Edmonton, Boston Bruins, you know, small guy. And he was an agitator. He would just agitate and he would get certain players, you know, he'd shadow some of these uh, um, all-star players and he would just get them rattled. And I think that that role has been missing in hockey for a large part, still there, but it, it's kind of gone away. And I think it, we need to bring it back. I mean, he had Subban, you know, all night long, just in his grill and chirping and yapping like Marchant does, you yep. know, and we need more of that. So good for, good for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what else, dad? So I also wanted to say this, just as we've mentioned this on podcasts earlier and look, I don't like to dog on players because here I am, I'm 24. Uh-huh. I'm not making money. I'm not doing shit. Can I, get, can I guess life. who you're going to complain about? Bjork. Okay. So we're going to talk about Anders Bjork. Yeah, I knew it. Once Kasha and Pashanak are back, this kid is without a job. And I say that with the utmost respect. He works hard. I'm, he works hard. Okay. The kid tries, but he's not, I, there, there's no play drive. There's no, I mean, I just don't see what's so special about him now. You know, I saw the potential a long time ago. You know, he had a great NCAA career, man, but. You know, it's it's the NHL. He's small. He's getting beat in the corners. Right. Those puck battles. He doesn't win. And, but there's a difference between being small and being smart and tough, like Marchand. Right. He's small, but like I said before in podcasts, eight out of ten times he's coming out with a puck in the corner. Right. Bjork, he's lucky if he's standing on his skates, no less getting a puck. And I hate to pick on the kid. I do too. But I, do too. I just don't think he's ready for a high caliber NHL team like the Boston Bruins right now. And you know what? Yeah, I feel bad, but we just talked to, uh, you know, a professional goalie who didn't even have the opportunity to make it in the NHL. And Ian, I mean, he could have played in the NHL. No question in my mind that, that he could have done that, but he never even got the chance. 
Bjork's there. He needs to make the most of every game that he has. I know Cassidy's got something that he just sees in this kid, but he's too small, too weak is what is my, my feeling. Doesn't mean he's not a talented player. He's just not going to compete with these big boys in the NHL. But you know what? Maybe he'll go on a 20 game, 20 goal and 20 game goal streak. And that'd be great. But he knows he needs to pick it up. Right. And, and here's the thing too. He knows he needs to pick it up because you've now got Trent Frederick taking the spotlight. Now you've got Stud Nika, who's got his first NHL goal, who's on the second and first line. He's looking good too, dad. So Bjork is looking like I'm losing my spot in the depth charts as these other kids are coming up. And you still got a guy like Kuhlman, who I think was still a bit better than Bjork. And I think Kuhlman slept out of the depth chart. So it's, it's a good, it's a good problem for the Bruins dad, because you, you know, as well as I do, you have to have a very deep team. You have to have that depth. It's not just about your top players. You got to have guys like who can step in for a game and score. I mean, re remember dad, Kuhlman came in game six, Stanley cup final. I hadn't played a game in about a month, took out Bacchus. He went in there. Game 16, like a final, scored a goal. Well, most so, most people have, have not got over their hatred for Richie. And Richie's tearing it up for the Boston Bruins. He's right killing. Now. Now, Two multi-point nights can in a we, row. Right, but can he be consistent? But he's on the power play. He's yeah. on the first line power play. And, and he's doing great. And he's doing great. He's that Lucic slash Chara when he first joined the team, that net front presence. Right. I mean, it's... They can't move him out. He's almost 240 pounds. I think he's a big guy. You know, I mean, he's a, I, I, he's a I, guy. I thought that the Richie brothers experiment was over in Boston. I, I said that a few times. We, we said a lot. So but, we're, we're eating our words, but you know what? We, we like that. moment. We're not like some fans where we deny it. Right. And, and we'll eat it. And, and at the end of the day, we're not on NBC sports network saying this. We're on our, our podcast. Own which obviously we're just fans, but like you said, it's great to see somebody that we might've dissed. Like I said, with Bjork, maybe he'll go on his tear and he'll be, but it ain't looking good for Bjork. I mean, Richie, it's looking great. I, I, I diss DeBrusque all the time to you personally in our text. And when I do, especially during a game, he ends up scoring or, or going hot, right. game winning goals. So right. I try not to right. talk too much right. crap, but and it's, we, right. and we, we call this, we call this the Lindroth, smack talk or whatever we i forget the the name we used to use but yeah. i every time back in the day when facebook you could actually post something on facebook without people jumping on your your shit all the time i remember do you remember it's like it like that toronto series where we came in 2013 back, yeah seven. and now just like the bruins are done this team blah 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 but you know i'm just being a little little bitch about everything yep. and then i have to eat my words but i didn't delete it i, I let it go but we have the Lindrop boys have a a knack of speaking our feelings a little bit too much and then have to uh, take it back. But we are man enough to do that. We're men enough to do we are. that. And you know what? I give credit to the players to make us shut up, even though they don't care or listen to our opinions because we're, we're nothing. We're sitting here in Oklahoma, you know, we're here and they're out playing professional hockey. So, so obviously our opinions are taken lightly, but we're passionate fans. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah. And, and I want to jump real quick to, uh, because we are uh, attracting um, some Tulsa fans, because we are, again, we, we'd like to cover the Tulsa Oilers, who are the affiliate of uh, Anaheim right now. And uh, the Oilers, while they went on like a five-game winning streak, and they looked good when I saw them last weekend. I mean, they were looking good. We got, um, they got two goaltenders that uh, they're developing right now. 
and uh, I think one's from Slovakia or Czechoslovakia. I forget his name. I'll, I'll have to, next time I'll give a, a, a report, but he got a shout out, his first shout out out here, I think. He was thrilled. It's nice to see these NHL drafted contracted players that are developing and uh, seeing them at, at this farm level um, and progressing. Uh, right now, Tulsa is, is kind of in a, in a, uh, in a losing streak, but believe, I don't know if you know this or not, something like a bunch of players got tested positive for COVID. Well, I've been wondering because they've been on their Instagram, on their social media accounts, they obviously, they will update the, the lines for the night. Yeah. And I've noticed they've barely have had three lines, four lines. I mean, dude, they've barely have had three, four lines. Well, they were, co- they were coachless. The equipment manager had to be the coach <laughs> on Sunday. The equipment manager Saturday. that that ate with us at Jimmy's egg that one day or something. Right, right, right. So yeah. Um, only because uh, the two coaches were exposed and, you know, you can't let this COVID get out of control. All of a sudden, you know, the whole league and the schedule is thrown out. So uh, yeah. Coach Rob Murray had to uh, watch it on TV and kind of like zoom in or Skype in the team in between periods and talk to them. That's, that's, and of course, you know, that's just, you know, that's just temporary, but it's like, that's how crazy this virus has gotten and affected these teams. So, so on, so real quick, just on the, I'm glad you had reminded me with you saying, you know, with the COVID stuff and postponing games. So as everybody knows, another kind of news thing is there's still a lot of games being postponed, the Carolina hurricanes and the Tampa Bay lightning. So, Chris Johnson, um, he's an NHL insider. He just posted on Twitter today that said the NHL's central division is being squeezed by COVID postponement. Schedule now calls for just about every team is going to have to play. And I say every team, Florida, Dallas, Carolina, and Tampa. Those four teams are going to have to play about 54 games in 102 days. Yeah. So that taxi squad is going to earn their money. Because, I mean, dude, that's a lot of games without any breaks. I mean, usually they got sometimes two, three days in between, and then another two days after a game. I mean, sometimes that schedule, you know, gives them that rest. But 54 games, 102 days, Dad, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of hockey for those teams. It is. And, you know, we all know this is going to be an asterisk season. I still wonder if that's why the Bruins aren't really acquiring anybody here. I, you know, I think – Got to try out the youth. It's a perfect season too. You got yeah. to see what you got to have. Well, Remember, we, we got thirty-two million in cap space after the season, Dad. So a, we figure out what, what are we going to spend our money a, on. The Jacobs family's bleeding money right now, and I, I think you know I speculate there might be an internal cap, and Sweeney can't spend all the money. Probably. But again, I mean, we might as well be the National Enquirer at this point. You know, we're that we're just a tabloid yeah. rag at this point, making all these assumptions. But you know, it's just you know the Bruins didn't do much in the off season and, and uh, you know, Smith has got to step up by the way, our you know, guy we recently signed Craig Smith. He's got to step up. Well, careful. Cause last game, he had a really good game last game, but I do agree. In the other games, he has to step up a little bit, but. You know, so, th- you know, we'll, we'll get to, uh, we'll see how the Bruins do. Cause I think that we're now settled into whatever the season is now. Yeah. Uh, Cause it was such a short, you know, no exhibition games you know, a short camp. So I think, I think teams are finally starting to settle in a little bit and uh, the Bruins have looked good here in the last, how many games? Two games. They beat Philadelphia twice. I mean, even having to go to the shootout or DeBrusque with that beautiful, just, you know, over the top, right. You know, right bar down goal. That was beautiful. And Marchant just carrying this team on his shoulder right now. Like he always does. Can you believe that 
Coach Cassie said he's been playing at 80% with that nagging uh, sports hernia. Remember, they're talking about 80% when he scored 100 points that 2018-2019 season. So him at 100%, he's going to continue outperforming everybody. Well, Dad, do you have anything else to add tonight? I think we had a heck of a show. Yeah, I think I think our show's uh, come to an end here. I mean, we could continue to gossip about hockey for another hour, but we're going to shut it off here. And uh, we'll be uh, looking to get some uh, more guests on our podcast, trying to work that out. And uh, we'll talk more hockey and we'll try to get into, um, I was trying to get to some Tulsa games this past weekend, but it didn't happen. And um, we do want to build a little bit of a Tulsa Oil fan base here. Absolutely. And, and tr- maybe try to, you know, get some of those players on here. I mean, we've been in contact with a few and, and I think, us being the fans and asking them questions is different than if they're being interviewed by, you know, a network or something like that. So hopefully we'll bring kind of a, a good fan perspective to um, our interviews and you, the listener will find it uh, interesting. We're everywhere. Spotify, Apple, I, I found us on Apple podcasts, by the way. And, oh, for, okay. and for me being 52, I mean, even though I know how to use a cell phone, but it's like, it was pretty cool. I was able to find that yeah. by myself. Yeah, but uh, we try to get these up. It's usually a day or two uh, where Mark at Black and Gold's got to edit it and get it on there for us. So hopefully uh, you'll enjoy this podcast and it'll be out by the 27th, maybe the 26th. We'll see. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll wrap it up here. And anything you want to add, Andrew? Um, Just go ahead and uh, if you don't mind giving us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. Um, and just go ahead and, and keep up to date with our stuff because now that we had our first guest, yeah, and, and, and let us know what you think uh, via our Twitter, which is what's our tag? Hockey Lindroth. Hockey Lindroth. And let us know if you listen to podcasts. And, you know, we're always looking to do better and not have diarrhea of the mouth, even though we, we do that quite a bit. We do but sometimes, but we are, we are not professionals. We're yeah, we're, fans. we're just fans and, and loving hey, the game of hockey. Go, go for Tom Brady. Go Tom Brady. That's true. Go Tom Brady. He is the greatest of all time. The greatest of all time. I hope he gets a, a ring once again. It, it'll be great. I'm not, I am the friggin' Standy. <laughs> Remember that commercial? Hey, if you haven't seen that commercial, look at oh, Tom Brady. So Wait, what commercial was it? Was it Skechers or so? Was it whatever? Look it up. It's Under pretty Armour. Fun. All right. Thank you guys. We'll see you next week. Have a wonderful night. Thank you.